Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? And no one has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then, too, I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This, too, is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before Him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless, so I commend the enjoyment of life. Because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in all their toil, all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, New International Version Howdy, I'm Brian and welcome back to my Bible study podcast. We're on the downhill side of our concurrent study through the books of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament and Philippians in the New Testament. It's a study that I've titled, Worldly Hevel, Joy in Christ. The Hebrew word hevel, it's often translated as vanity or meaninglessness. It's used often in the book of Ecclesiastes to remind us of the vanity or meaninglessness of chasing after the things of the world. Both the books of Ecclesiastes and Philippians aim to shift our focus from pursuing earthly things to pursuing God with all our heart, mind, and soul. It's about finding an identity that rests in Jesus as our Savior. Instead of getting wrapped up in having an identity immersed in seeking worldly prosperity, both Paul and Solomon make it clear that we as Christians can enjoy the blessings provided by God in this world. We were meant to find joy in what God has done and provided. 
where we get ourselves in trouble, though. It's when we start to worship the created things over the creator. I know that the intro reading was a little long, but today we're covering all of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It's going to cover a wide area, but it will probably narrow it into three main subjects. First, how to apply wisdom and yet still remember that it has limitations. Second, that sometimes things just don't look fair or seem right. That our efforts to control or understand things, they're going to fall short because we are not God as much as we might try to be sometimes. And finally, the chapter finishes where we should all finish. That we all should fear God and worship him for who he is, not for our current life situations and what it might look like right now. And if we can do that, then we can come to a place of joy and of contentment in our lives. I pray that this passage would speak to all of us, and maybe it'll remind us all of just how big and how great our God truly is. Let's dive in. Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 1. So this verse, it sort of serves as a hinge point between chapters 7 and 8, both of which at least partly revolve around the topic of wisdom and wise living. Here in verse 1 of the chapter, we get a rarity for Ecclesiastes. It's a somewhat rhetorical question, but one that he answers with a semi-bright spot. The way the book reads at times, you almost expect the verse to ask the question, who is like the wise, just for him to answer that nobody really is wise. But we get a rare positive answer. People like this do exist. And we read that a wise person's wisdom, it brightens their face and it changes their appearance. The Nazvi says that a man's wisdom illumines him. So a wise person's face is a light to others. It enlightens any situation, and as Ryrie notes, it makes him a source of blessing to others. So this chapter will go on to talk about how wisdom can't change everything. That there are limitations to our own wisdom, and that chasing wisdom for wisdom's sake is meaningless. But here we're reminded that having biblical wisdom and exercising biblical wisdom, that does matter. It can transform situations and people. Zach Eswine says that wisdom, though it may not change the world, it does change us. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases, since a king's word is supreme. Who can say with him, what are you doing? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. So verses 2 through 6, they start to work through another application of wisdom, how to exercise wisdom in front of kings and leaders. So a wise person knows when to stand up and confront leaders, and when to obey the king's command. The author says, do not stand up for a bad cause. And I just love that phrase right now because I kind of feel like it defines the social media age and the current political environment that we live in here in America. 
like how many people want to confront our leaders and take a stand for bad causes. Now, there's a difference in this text and in in what I just mentioned. This text explicitly refers to kings, who at that time could pretty much execute whatever decisions that they wanted to, and whatever conclusions they came to, it didn't matter who questioned it. But I still think that it's an applicable word of restraint for us and how we approach things today. So many of us pick fights over nominal issues that are not anywhere close to a first importance. So I actually just saw a quote from Jackie Hill Perry where she spoke into Christians in particular needing to pick better battles. The quote is, I have no desire to die on hills that look nothing like Calvary. It's just such a good quote. It's such a telling quote in today's times. So Jackie Hill Perry, I have no desire to die on hills that look nothing like Calvary. Ecclesiastes 8.6 says, For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. So there's a time and a procedure for everything. We just need to apply wisdom to discern it. And that wisdom usually involves patience and trusting in God. Even if, as the verse says, it means that being weighed down by misery or trouble or affliction is going to happen in the meantime. We need to trust in God, not pop off at the mouth to our leaders, not die on a hill that isn't something else beyond what's of first importance. So the wise person should refrain from confrontation in certain situations. And now we're really diving into how the wise person should know and understand when to let something go. Namely, when they come to the conclusion that they can't change that thing anyway. Verse 7 says, Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? Ecclesiastes 8.7 So the passage is still specifically talking about interacting with the kings that were previously mentioned. And the author is saying, look, if you don't know for sure how a thing is going to turn out, how can you fight with anybody else trying to tell them what's going to happen, especially a king? It's especially true of kings and leaders. I mean, in essence, you would be saying, no, you're wrong, and there's absolutely no way that I can prove that ahead of time, because I don't actually know myself how things are going to turn out. But king, you should listen to me. Like, that sounds really goofy. But we all know that we've done this. Probably not with kings, maybe not even with leaders, but definitely with friends. And if you're married like me, 100% you've done this with your spouse. You fought a fight about how something would turn out without you really having any level of certainty what would actually happen. It's like we've taken a random guess and now we're going to pridefully fight to the death over our guess. I don't know, not telling anyone else about the future because we don't actually know what's going to happen? That sounds like a sound application of wisdom to me. It flows into the start of verse 8. As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. So Solomon has used the word vanity coupled with the phrase chasing after the wind before. But here he kind of hits the nail on the head. We don't have the power to contain the wind, and we can't control life or death. As much as we might try sometimes, and as much as we might want to sometimes. 
The only person to walk this earth to control death is the one who defeated death, Jesus Christ, who died yet rose again, who through faith in, we can also receive eternal life, the resurrection of our souls. In verses 9 through 15, we recover some familiar territory for Ecclesiastes, with statements about justice and wickedness and how they don't always play out, how things don't always look or seem fair or just to us. So verse 14 says, Here is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless. Life is not some algebra equation, right? Like, we're not going to have X and Y done right and then automatically receive gift Z. Now, sometimes wicked people live seemingly great lives, and sometimes you can make wise choices and still receive a terrible outcome. But the author isn't trying to tell us to throw our hands up in frustration. Instead, he wants us to be better able to enjoy the life that we've been granted. So I commend the enjoyment of life, starts verse 15, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life that God has given them under the sun. So Gordon Fee and Stewart declare that the author returns to the theme of wickedness and injustice, insisting that it is better to fear God and enjoy the life that he has given. So even if wickedness sometimes seems like an easy out, we need to trust in God instead and understand that he is ultimately going to have judgment over everything and everyone. Verse 12 is a great reminder verse. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better for those who fear God who are reverent before him. See, it all comes back to the primary theme of Ecclesiastes, to get us, the readers, to live a life revolving around a reverential fear of God and allowing that to produce both joy and obedience. chapter closes speaking into some of the limitations of wisdom. The endless toil of men that can sometimes get them almost nowhere but frustrated. And it speaks about the absolute sovereignty of God. I mean, the central theme here is ultimately our inability to change the things around us. Despite how smart we think we are, or how much we might foolishly argue, or how much we might put in work for work's sake. Sometimes work is vain toil, and our efforts to gain ultimate knowledge and comprehension, they're meaningless. In the end, the truly wise man, he comes to recognize that we could never comprehend everything that goes down under the sun, that everything God is in control of is so far beyond our ability to comprehend. The chapter closes with verse 17 saying, Then I saw all that God has done, No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. 
he see the author, who is widely believed to have been King Solomon. He might refer to the meaninglessness and vanity of some of life's endeavors. But the goal isn't for us to throw up our hands and give up hope. The goal is for us to lean into God. In the next to last verse of the entire book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. See, applying wisdom involves finding joy in this life. Joy in the life that God has given us to live. But also making sure that that joy is rooted in humble recognition that Jesus died on the cross for us. That applying wisdom is about keeping the commandments of God but keeping them out of a reverential fear for him. So our faith in Jesus should be inseparable from how we live this life, but also from how we view the events of this life. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the salvation that Christians have received, we should live a life that can find joy and contentment and peace, even when our efforts seem futile, or our leaders seem unwilling to listen. Or the wicked and the unjust seem to be prevailing. Don't lose hope in this world because Jesus reminds us that he has overcome the world. And that, that is where the author of Ecclesiastes wants to take us. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the New International Version or NIV translation. Copyright 2011 by Biblica Inc. Next episode will be back in the book of Philippians. Until then, though, I love y'all.